I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Like, what are we going to do about this fucking Cubano from the South, downtown in South Florida, put together the firm with the palm trees behind him? He's a monster. He's controlling the market. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Welcome to the Coach HP Show. If you haven't by now, please take the time to subscribe, rate the podcast, give me your feedback. All that love is super appreciative. Today, on this episode of the Coach HP Show, I have none other than I'm talking about the survivors, survivor, Miami's own. Cuban-American kid, come out of Miami, go to Harvard, suffer a life-altering injury at Harvard, losing sight of his eye after a tragic accident in the baseball field, to overcome that, to finish his playing career, to graduate from Harvard, to be now one of the top attorneys around, none other on today's show. A man that's an example of hard work, focus, dedication, of sticking with a plan, of using resources, of learning how to deal with failure, adversity, which is huge, losing his father at a real young age when he really needed him and how he kept going. Great story. Lots more to talk about with this dude. But on today's episode of the Coach HP Show, we have none other than my brother, Javi Lopez. Let's go. Boom. And we're on. I, I'm going to start this episode with, I've always, heard, I've always heard a legend about this Cuban kid that played baseball, went to Harvard, lost an eyesight in one eye, came back to Miami to crush it in the law world, buddy. So before, before we get into that, dude, you're... I saw the video you sent me. Your office. Is that your office with like the Freedom Tower behind it? Is that yours? Yeah, that's my office. Dude, I, I noticed the Freedom Tower. I noticed a bunch of Jose Marti little things. Tell me about that, bro. Where does that come from? So my my grandfather, uh, when they came over from Cuba, his uh, his job was he was a director of the freedom tower remember the freedom tower was where all the the cuban immigrants would come and uh would you know they'd get a sign you know he'd send them to get them jobs send them to different states you know my my father ended up uh 
in Hoboken, uh, New Jersey. So he was actually raised in Hoboken. So the Freedom Tower has always been very special to me because of my, my grandfather, but also because of all the, the, the Cuban uh, roots. And, you know, for me, the, my, my kind of my Cuban uh, family or roots is, is very important. Um, so, you know, really throughout my practice and everything in, involved with CABA, the Cuban American Bar Association. Um, my uncle also, uh, uh, my great uncle on my dad's side um, was, was the longest held political prisoner in the world. Um, he was in prison for 30 years from 1960 to 1990. Wow. And uh, it's an amazing, his name's Mario, was, he passed away, Mario Chavez de Armas. And his story is amazing. I mean, he grew up with Fidel Castro. Uh, you know, they sleep over each other's house. And what's interesting is that, you know, the revolution wasn't for communism. You know, what was there before Badita was tremenda mierda. And so they wanted to change. And, and, and my, you know, my uncle uh, Mario, it was one of the guys that was there in the 1954 attack in Moncada. I got arrested with Fidel, was in prison with Fidel. They left to the to the jungle. Uh, anyways, after, you know, what happens, happens in 1959, that Castro starts saying, hey, surprise, hey, I'm, I'm a communist. My, my uncle's like, well, that's not, I'm not, I'm not cool with that. Long story short, he had a 30-minute trial. 30-minute sentencing trial, uh, and in those 30 minutes, he got sentenced to 30 years, uh, and he served every single day of them. He was one of the, uh, what they call the plantados, and, you know, he was a very small guy, small, uh, very, very uh, like, he spoke low, but when he spoke, I mean, people people listen, and some of the stories, I wish you, you know, I always told them, you know, Theo, you need to write. You need to write a book, man, about what what happened, what they did to you in prison, um, and you know how how did you survive that? He never did. But but one thing that I really enjoyed my uh, we would have a, a little tradition where on Thursdays we'd go to my grandma's house for dinner. She cooked for us. She she was great. She would she would call each of us. We had it was six grandkids. She'd call every grandchild. And see what they wanted to eat that day. And she'd make, you know, if I wanted un bite, bite, the other one wanted ropa vieja. So she, it was incredible. But the Omari would come and he'd eat with us because he came over in 1993. Um, actually, President Clinton helped get him over here. I actually got to meet President Clinton because he went, went when he, I was 13 years old. There's a picture that I'll share with you. It's hysterical. President Clinton invites him to go. Uh, and, and meet with meet with him in the in the Oval Office uh, and talk about you know his experience. He he spoke in, in Congress, and I remember you know what is the most formal you know nicest thing a guy can wear right is a tux. So you got to see my my <laughs> my parents sent me in a tuxedo, bro. I love it. I love it. Thirteen years old in a tuxedo in the Oval Office. <laughs> With President Clinton, ridiculous. But anyway, so he uh, he told me some stories. You know, you know, one story, for example, that really got me was so there was a political prisoner uniform, 
and there was a common prisoner uniform, you know, the, the rapists, murderers, whatnot. But the political prisoners were identified by a different color. And um, his uh, Mario's son, Maito, who, who actually never, when he goes into prison, uh, Caridad, his wife was, was pregnant, so he never got to meet him outside of prison. Uh, when he was, I think, 15, so this is around 1975, uh, he had gone in to get common uh, uh, tonsils, get your tonsils out. Something happened. We don't know what happened, but it went bad, and he dies on the on the, on the table. And and the story that 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 the Omario tells me is that Fidel himself came to uh, um, Mario's cell and said, "Listen, Maito died. Um, the the funeral's tomorrow. Uh, you can go. You can go to the funeral with one condition, and that is that you need to wear the common prisoner." Uh, uniform, and my uncle said no. Uh, so he missed he missed uh, his son's funeral, um, and then, like six years later, uh, my Mario's dad, who Fidel knew, because remember they used to sleep over each other's house and stuff. He goes, "Hey, viejo, same thing. Viejo died. Uh, you can go to the funeral, but uh, you got to wear a common prison uniform." And he said, no, uh, I'm not going to. So that was like like his way of fighting, because what did they have? So like fast forward like a couple years, and they come and they say, hey, we're eliminating the political prison uniform altogether. It's only going to be the common prison uniform. So tough. And they say, no. They go, we're not going to wear it. They're like, what do you mean? Like, we're eliminating it. They're like. You can do two things, either kill us or we're going to be naked. <laughs> so I like that. I like that. So, so, so that's exactly what they did. It was a group of 15 Carlos Plantados, and they were naked in underwear for seven years. They were uh, without just an underwear because uh, they said, F it. I'm not going to do it. And then eventually they're like, okay. <laughs> These guys are, you know, we can't beat these guys. I mean, that's how they were able to, to, to fight. Oh, yeah. This show, you can say, fuck it, buddy. Don't worry. This is your I show. Do. I, do. <laughs> I want to stick into this topic of three questions that just came to my head now around this whole topic. Number one, we, any, any regular Cuban hates Castro, hates everything he did. There's a few, few, few. That are that are for him, very few, but the majority we can all agree are against him and what he did and what he caused. What is, but we're positive, what is the most positive thing your uncle said he learned from being around Castro? Um the most positive thing he learned from being around Castro. You know, it's kind of a double-edged sword, which the power of the power of speech, the power of, of manipulation. Um, Castro, there's no question, was love or hate him. The guy was a master manipulator and a master, um, almost like a Hitler, right? Like where you oh, he's our Hitler. He's our Hitler. You know, you you yeah, he is. He'd have these 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 speeches that were hours. Right. 
and the people were just like transfixed because he was so captivating and that that people would would just blindly follow um and that you know is extremely powerful um so he he learned that in observing it he never practiced it well he kind of, i guess he kind of did you know because some, how you manipulate folks or try and guide folks or fight you know for my uncle for 30 years he's in prison what do you, how do you fight right it's it's a it's, it's a mental warfare they take him out i mean he told me examples of where they'd be like oh hey today's your day bro and they put him in front of the in front of the firing wall and they shoot blanks at him i mean that's some crazy shit. i mean bro the same thing harvey happened to not in not in my family but my wife's grandfather same thing 20 years in jail same story same story same story he's 90 something now same story you brought up mindset what did your uncle tell you was his mindset that allowed him to be successfully a prisoner for 30 years dealing with all this bullshit of today's your last day maybe they teased him hey you're gonna get out today no you're not how did he did he talk to you how he dealt with that he had he had very deep convictions and if you have deep convictions i think that well he said that and if, if you truly believe in them and you're willing to die for them there's nothing there's nothing that they can do to rattle you javi and convictions is your beliefs is that what that means yeah he believed that communism was wrong and by the way they offered him all he had to do to get out was say that he agreed with the communist government, he agreed with the system, and that he was a communist. Out. And he didn't because he didn't believe. And, you know, looking back, that's tough because he lost everything. Uh, was it worth it? You know, his son that was born after he, shortly after he got into prison died 15 years later. His wife basically lost his wife, uh, you know, 30 years in prison. As soon as they got to the States, we found out that she was with some other dude, which, you yeah. know, 30 years, man. Like, okay. That's normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's normal. Is gone. So people will be like, dude, why didn't you? I mean, you don't have to believe it. But just say, yeah, bro, I, I believe. I the local. I'm coming this all day. Dale, get me out of here. Communism, you're the man. Rock and roll. And get the hell out and live your life. Like, yeah. Yeah. But that's not how he was wired, man. Uh, and, 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 and he was like, I was ready. And there's very rare things I think that people can truly say, I'll die for this. I will, I will die for this. You know, certainly like your family, your wife, your kids, but like a like an idea, uh, you better be, have them strapped on real tight, bro. Yeah, yeah, for because, sure. Because because he lived like thirty years in prison. That's crazy. Over, over 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 an idea, a disagreement of thought. Of thought, Javi. Last question on this topic, bro. I'm sure you've been approached because you almost have the perfect pedigree the perfect demeanor, the perfect vibe. Have you thought of running for political office and stuff like that? You know, that's a funny, it's funny. Uh, the answer is 
have I been approached? Yes. Have I thought about it? Yes. The more that that the older I get, the less I, I, I'm interested. My my mother uh, in the '80s was the chief of staff for Javier Suarez when he was the mayor. So I grew up in that. Uh, you know, I grew up with Francis, the current mayor. Um, so my mom was in that world, and you know, she's a public school teacher, but she was in that world for about a dozen years. And yeah, I thought about it. And, and and as I've gotten older, I've had friends that have been, uh, you know, my a very dear friend of mine, Carlos Corbello, was a, a, a congressman. Uh, Pepe Diaz, Jose Pepe Felix Diaz, uh, was Carlos was a federal congressman. Uh, Pepe was a state congressman. And dude, it's a tremendous pain in the ass. And you know, I see them fight. And for what they think is right, and there's so much bureaucracy and so much red tape, and it's so invasive and nasty. Like what I do on a day to day in terms of litigation, it's nasty enough, right? You know, but the prying and, and messing with with your family. I mean, Carlos's family was attacked, you know, by his by by the opponent. Like that type of shit. I'm like, you know, I'm not. I, I I'm less interested. But I will say that what I've, what I've noticed is that the most, the most politics that affect me on a day-to-day -day is local. What happens on the federal level, yeah, like, you know, there's a federal income tax, but, like, really, the, like, my, my, my commissioners, right, like the, the, Miami, the Miami commissioners or Miami-Dade County commissioners and the mayor, like, that local stuff, that's the stuff that really affects you and I on a day to day. Uh, uh, so, so if I was ever going to think about that, I, I think it would definitely be a local position because I think that's where you can effectuate the most change on, on people's daily lives. But the older I get, the least I want to do that. Yeah, hell no, hell no, bro. You you even got the political haircut, bro. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> dude. It's funny because. I was speaking with your boy Mendez, Mike Mendez, yeah, and he was. It, it's so crazy how things work out the way they do, man. He was praising me because he's like, "Listen, dude, the the changes that I've made in my life to to sacrifice big time to get to where I've wanted to get, I've only been able to do Javi because I haven't valued my." Not my family, like me, my wife, and my kids, but like my other family. It's there's no value there where I'm like, man, I can't leave my dad or I can't leave my mom. So because I don't have those ties, it has enabled me to do to take incredible risk whenever without even thinking twice. And I think that happened to me for some reason. You've had the reverse. I've had tragedy of members, but they're still living. I can, I don't talk to them, but they're still living. You've had tragedy, the reverse, man. Stuff that really hits you in places that hurt, but they're not around anymore and things you couldn't control. How has that shaped you into the man you are today, bro? So the loss of my father, like my father died at 56 years old. Uh, he was my, like, he was my hero. I mean, he was, there was nobody better. 
than my dad. My dad was, you know, he taught me so much and, and, and just not just in what he said, but what he did, what I watched, right? Because you can say one thing and you can do another. But the way he lived his life, I mean, I remember, you know, he had gas. He's, I mean, look, my, my dad barely graduated high school, Hoboken High. Uh, didn't never, never went to college, uh, but he understood um, empathy. He understood relationships. He understood people and the value of people, and that's what made him very successful. He was a successful businessman. He started, you know, selling women's clothes, actually men's clothes, and then women's clothes, and then he got he bought his first gas station. Um, he didn't know anything about gas, but he knew about you know business, which is all about people. Um, so losing him uh, in the way that we did, which was the cancer, like we, we didn't have, we don't have any cancer history in our family. And one day my dad just called a family meeting. He's like, hey, uh, I've got stage four. Uh, and it was, and every day was like the worst day of his life because it was a really aggressive, nasty, he melted. He melted away in five months, five months, I think he lost a hundred pounds, uh, but I also learned a lot through that. And and and, and, and the fight, um, the fight that he did, because he knew he knew that he was going to pass away. And he had it. I remember, I remember, like two months into it, he calls a meeting, another meeting. You know, when he's doing the chemo. And he's kind of doing the math, right? Because he sees in the first month he's lost 25 pounds. Second month he's lost another 25 pounds. He's like, I can't keep up here. Right. right? So, and he was real tired, you know. And 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 he when he told us that he was sick, he had this tremendous peace, right? He goes, I am, I'm, you know, I'm ready to fight. But if there's no fight to be had, and, and we actually found these letters that he left a journal um, about when he found out what he was thinking. My mom found this like two years after we passed. Uh, she was going to go do a Bible study, took out a notebook from the closet and found these letters. And he was talking how he was perfectly at peace because he lived his life. Like what mattered to him was his family. And, um, you know, he had done what he thought was the best that he could. And, um, and I remember going to the story, uh, where my dad, I guess he, he had come to the realization he wasn't going to make it. And he, we had a meeting and he asked us, he said, um, he was, Hey guys, uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm okay with stopping the chemo. And just, you know, it's because it was really painful, radiation. I mean, it was all burnt. Wow. I'm ready to stop. But what do you guys want me to do? You guys want me to continue to fight? I'll do that. And we said, absolutely. You got to keep fighting. The doctors were telling us he was in, you know, there was a cure. He was going to get better. So, dude, so he did for us. Um and he, he fought his ass off, uh, notwithstanding the fact that he kind of knew what was going to happen, but he did it for us. And he said, and I don't think I ever said this <clears throat> story, but he said, uh, 
goes, I'll do that on one condition. And that is that when I say, yeah, yeah. So uh, fast forward, you know, yeah, we're now in month five where things are bad. We're in the, we're back in the hospital. We've been in the hospital and he's doing really badly. And in, I mean, like visceral pain, like he's like yelling in pain. And I remember uh, being in the hospital so long, you kind of make friends with some other people. There was this little viejito, yeah. his little viejita wife, and they were the cutest. And I was down there visiting them. And my I get a call from my mom who was up, up with my dad. And she's like, Javi, come here, your dad, your dad's going crazy. Like, hurry back. And and I uh and I run back, you know, and I get there and my, my dad tries to grab my mom. And when I walk in, like his eyes are are just like this, you know, open, and he's very alert. Right? He had been kind of, but he was like, he was on point. And you can tell he's in a lot of pain. And and he asked my mom to step out. Of the of the of the room, and I'm like, what's what's going on? And he said, we had a deal. I told you that I was in a fight, but that when I said that that was it, that was it. And I'm telling you, that's it. Um, no more, no more. And I said that, but I need you. And he said, we had a deal. Don't be a pussy and make the call. He said it in Spanish or in English. Actually, that he said in English. He said, really? he said, don't be a pussy and make the call. Go talk to Dr. To, uh, to Dr. Moss. Just like that, bro. And Let me ask you a question there. How old were you? 33. So you were 33. When you said you needed him, right? You felt you needed him for what? For guidance, just that love, that bond you had with him? Yes, 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 and yes. And also what I still needed to learn from him. Um, I was just starting, man. Like, you know, I was a young lawyer. Um, was I was single, quote unquote single. I got married at 37. Uh, about how to be, you know, I wasn't a father, I wasn't a husband. So all these things that that I that I could bounce ideas off now, you know, I wanted him, like he was the best teacher I could have had. So I needed him for all the things. Javi, and what made him a good teacher was what? Because that's that's the key for me with all this, man. If I could get 2020 parents, not our parents from 1980, whatever. 2020 era parents to understand what made your dad so successful as a dad, not as a businessman, not as a dad, that you would feel. Because a lot of people now would be like, oh, he's dying. Oh, yeah, peace out, bro. Don't bother me. Good luck. But you felt the opposite, right? What did he have, in your opinion? You said empathy that made him a tremendous dad, bro. He, he, he cared about his kids. In, in a way that it wasn't merit-based. It wasn't how well I did in baseball. In fact, he didn't care about that. He was growing up, you know, in the Cuban baseball community. I saw 
a lot of dads and moms in some instances where their kid was going to be the next major leaguer. It was all about how good he was, you know, you know, it was the baseball base, and, and, and my, my 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 mom was the opposite. My mom said, "Hey, you know, you're a pretty good ball player. That's fantastic. But the moment that your grades go down, baseball's over." And my dad was not was not one of these parents that was like, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna be a major leaguer. Your, your life is about baseball." He was like, "No, there's a lot more to life, okay? And you aren't measured by your success or lack thereof." In, in, in baseball and I, I'll give you an example um, you know what I went to Westminster uh, you know that was like the, the baseball kind of Mecca at that time Javi and where'd you go before I went I went to uh, King's Christian's little school I went to Belen for one year seventh grade that was Alex Rodriguez's senior 93 and and I remember Westminster was like this like was the place man school, like this like dragon, I was like, oh my god, like they like it was almost like this mythical thing. And I was like, if I want to win, I wanted to win rings, I wanted to win state championships, national, that's where you gotta go. So and I how were your parents able to afford? Did they have did, did pops do good financially to, to afford Belen and Westminster, or did they just make sacrifice and say, Listen, we're gonna put you there? Both. Uh my dad, you know, he, he was he did well at business, you know, well enough. Uh, to get us through, but yeah, it was absolutely a sacrifice. Um, and and you know, going back to that to that, to that and just like uh, with 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 Harvard, um, although Harvard did give, you know, they don't Ivy leagues don't give athletic scholarships, but they come up with a you know, Javi Lopez needs money grant, Westchester grant, you know, <laughs> Cuban American <laughs> so, grant. Yeah, so all these different things. I ended up, I ended up, you know, my, my, my parents paid something, but my, my, my bill at the end of, of my four years up at, uh, up at Harvard was uh, $12,143 is what my student loan was. Not, not bad, not bad. Uh, Let's go step by step, though. I don't want to get to Harvard yet. That's a whole chapter in itself. So you're there at Westminster. You yeah, decide sure. to go to Westminster. The, 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 yeah, I go to Westminster, you know, my my freshman year, I, I, I hold on. Before that, whoa, whoa, were you a Flagami guy, Tamiami guy? Where'd you play? Flagami. Flag I lived right next to Flagami, Corway and 79th Avenue. In fact, my dad's gas station, the Mobile, the company name was Flagami Mobile. So you were David Gill, right? David Gill was Flagami. Yeah. Yeah, bro. I was. Yeah, I was a Tamiami guy, so I never. That's why I didn't know who you were, bro. Tamiami was like. Like more, like more expensive or exclusive. I thought, like, like I mean, we were like just because yeah, you guys just had the four fields. It was like kind of there. We had we had patelitos. We had these things that they they said they were croquetas. A little guy there that was, and then it was like little feet. Like, listen, there was nothing. There was nothing like having pizza at yeah. the at the Tamiami. Think about this. This is nostalgia, bro. Tamiami used to have this pizza truck this food truck right and my dad was just bro a dictator and everything bro so he never believed in a after a game vamos come a pizza get a soda get a blow pop i saw everybody hitting that combo my dad was like that was my dad 24 7 but what i used to do was i don't know if you guys did this in in flag when we played the nine o'clock game 
after the nine o'clock game, you would just stay the whole day at the park. Like oh, yeah. playing around with your uniform, blah, 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 with your boys, playing manhunt, you know, say, okay, whatever, whatever, right? And those days, Javi, what I used to do was I was playing with my boys. I used to go to trash cans, bro. And people would throw away the pizzas, you know, because they would have pizza over there. Bro, and I used to get pizzas. This is me like an elementary or whatever. Bro, and I would eat those pizzas like if I was, I'd make sure nobody was watching. And I would just eat that, man. And to us, and This is this conversation to me is so important because if we think about our youth playing baseball, both you, a guy that's successful on all levels, right? What we remember is those times hanging out with our boys, having fun, grabbing pizza, messing around. We don't remember, oh yeah, 1987, I was a team MVP and we won first place. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That, and, you know, that's the point, right? That, that's, that, that's the point. I, I, I remember, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was like Amy and Glades. And, and we had, we'd spent all day, man, all day Saturday, you know, and, and like our parent, my dad, you know, all the, 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 the coaches were wearing those, remember those coaches shorts? <laughs> With <laughs> the high socks and, and, the, and the things there, come on, man. And then we'd have to wear the undershirts. And then the new era was, remember when they added the socks with the built-in stirrup? Yeah, yeah, that was, that was ridiculous. Actually, <laughs> I thought it was incredible because before it was the actual stirrup and the stirrup would come out of the shoe. Well, come out of the shoe, it'd be a disaster, bro. You'd have like the, 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 the stirrup. What, what number were you? What number were you? Seven. Always. Always, always seven. You, and that's a popular number, bro. Seven. How did you always pull up seven? Pull off seven. Because that's what I wanted. Is it, you were born on the seventh? No, I was born. I was born on the twenty-eighth. I like why the, why the seventh? Dude, I just really like the number. I like the form of the number. I like Mickey Mantle. Uh, my dad liked Mickey Mantle, uh, and it's just you know. Javi, favorite favorite uniform that you wore in Flagami. Dade lock and key, all, poly, all polyester, yellow here. It was like yellow with like a white and then navy. It was the most absurd thing on the, on the fucking planet. And it was, dude, polyester, like, what a terrible idea. It's like August and you're in polyester. <laughs> But it was like, yeah, and it looked, oh, and, and Bahama Fish Market, bro. The Bahama Fish Market. That one was this neon red, like here, with with like white. It was like white with neon red and like a stripe in the middle. It was the most. And then it had Bahama fish with like a with like a shrimp, like a big old shrimp right here. <laughs> hey, camarón. Camarón. And, and red pants, and the pants were just bright red with with, with a little white line on the side. We looked, we looked absurd. We looked like a Santa Claus. Right. <laughs> it was, you know, the pina. That was the pina. <laughs> Dude, so when, so when you come now, you had this hype, one of the better players. What'd you play on the field? Outfield. I played left field, center. So um, you were fast. Yeah, man. Actually, I, I was pretty quick. Um, fortunately, I was, I was blessed. Uh, I was, I was. 
I think I ran, I think it was like a six, my, my fastest time in the 60 was just under a 6.4, so I think it was 6. No way, bro. Yeah, it was funny. I went to the Team 1 National Showcase, and uh, they make you run the 60 twice. The first time I ran against uh, Khalil Green, uh, who ended up being, you know, rookie of the year. He also had mental health issues. Remember he had the, the, the yips? Yeah. And he was he was quick, but I but I beat him. So then the second, this, based on your times, what they do there is they take like what are supposed to be the top 100 prospects. And, and that was the Team 1 National Showcase. There was regional ones, but I, I was able to get into the national one. And my second time uh, that I ran it, they put me with Corey Patterson. Corey Patterson was a, you know, out of Georgia that he ended up playing for the Cubs. I mean, he, he was, and he yeah. was, and, uh, and that guy ran and he beat me, but he made me faster. Uh, the first time I ran with, with, with Khalil, I think I ran like a six, five. And then when I went and ran against Corey, uh, he, he ran like a six, like six, three, six or six, three, seven. And, I, and he beat me by just a step. And I was like at six, three, nine, which is the fastest I'd ever had. So for a white Cuban, um, that's fast, bro. That's, that's fast. Now, good. did you have a strength coach, a running coach, or was that puro? Dale, let's go. No, I, well, no. Growing up, I didn't have any of that. But in in Westminster, you know, Westminster was interesting because Westminster was run like a Division One program, and I mean, it was Coach Hoffman. It was unbelievable. We had we had the team chiropractor. Right. Wow. We had our team, uh, you know, physician. We had we were one of, I think, only two teams sponsored in the country by Nike. So, I mean, we we had five sets of uniforms, bro, compared to like Harvard's D1 and, you know, a 20 billion dollar endowment. Westminster, what we got there was night and day. Compared to that, I mean, in, in, in Harvard, you have to return your, you know, you have to return your jock strap at the end of the year back to like, that's crazy. It's absurd. But yeah, so, so we had, we had um, a running, a running coach. Um, her name was Sandy, Sandy Spire. Uh, very, very prominent running coach was for UM. Coach Hoffman had her come in and we did all sorts of, you know, shit with her. Um, you were I, the fastest on the team? Yeah, uh, I was. I was. I also played football. As a, the, I was a tailback. No uh, way, bro. Actually, tailback, middle linebacker, punt returner. I mean, it was like twenty-four of us on the whole team. So you know, both ways, everything. And your parents allowed you to play football. Yeah, man. Vamos a fútbol, te vas a dar un muchacho. You didn't get that. No, but I remember one time, dude. My mom, she helped me her, her breath. The fact I'll tell you one of the fastest cures to, to feel better. There was one time because I mean we we're going, we played Belen, that was a bigger school. There were 70 kids in my class. Like we're little, we're little those little oh, small oh, school, small, really small, man. Really small. Now, when it came to baseball, we brought in the best. Right, right, right. Football. We so we're playing and and you know, we're playing bigger schools, and we didn't have a quarterback, and I was a tailback, so I get the ball like 50 times a game. And so I, the next day I, I wake up purple, just, and actually it was, I love football. I actually love football just as much as baseball. Uh, and, and I, and I thought about playing, um, and I was actually recruited for both. No way, dude. You know who I had on yesterday on the show? 
Robert, I think it's what was it Bailey? No, Robert. That he's with the he's with the Hurricanes. He's a president of Rosenhaus Sports now. Robert Bailey. Yeah. Of Rosenhaus. The, the, yeah. Hold on. Let me get his last name. I think it's Bailey. Hold on. I'm gonna edit this out. So don't worry, bro. We're not gonna make Robert look bad here. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna kill for Robert. Robert Bailey, bro. Played two years at UM in the 80s, won two national championships with them, went to the Rams, holds the record for the longest punt return in NFL history, won a Super Bowl with yeah. the Cowboys, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, that Ray Lewis year. He's the real famous play in, I don't know if you saw this in football, where they did a kick return to his team, to the Rams, It hit Javi almost like the end of the end post of being out of bounds, and it stayed in. Everybody played dead like, oh, it just went out, whatever. Nobody, the officials didn't do anything. He went, picked it up, casually grabbed it, picked it up and ran it back for the longest punt return in NFL history. Like 110 yards. He holds the record. His, his Instagram is NFL record. That's his handle. And we were talking about... Dude, you were talking about the same thing he was talking about, bro. Javi, how does it feel to get hit? I've never been hit before by another human being, like on a football field, man. How is that feeling? Feels good. I like yeah. I, I liked hitting and I like getting hit. I didn't have a choice because all we did was run the ball. Uh, but there was one time, one particular time I remember when we were playing, uh, we had gotten We won districts. We were up in uh, – we were playing Moorhaven. These guys from, from the north, they came down, uh, my African-American brothers, and these guys were big, big country guys. And uh, I, got, I remember one play in particular, two guys got me and just sandwiched me, and, and I, I, I kind of knocked the wind out of me, and I, and I kind of go down – Just for like maybe like 10 seconds. But what I hear is me, <laughs> bro. And I and I'm <laughs> I see, I open my eyes and I see my mother. Okay. My mother had run from the stands, run on the field. Wow. And be like, hi. I mean, I go, get the hell off the field. <laughs> I got up, like that got me. I felt great. Because the one thing she did tell me, she was like, if you're gonna play football. And if I see you get hurt, I'm going to run on the field. I said, all right, mom, whatever, no problem. Whatever, that ain't happening. Sure enough, it happened, and she did exactly what she said she was going to do, and I got up in a hurry, and I said, let's go. Let's play. Dale, palante. Uh, Javi, as, as a player, dude, in the baseball world, when did you start noticing the recruiting side of it? Were you always the smartest guy? How did you get so smart, bro? Like, academically, was that something that you said, listen – Because forget about being smart, bro. There's difference between being smart and then being a smart athlete. Those are two different animals, bro, because you got to work at it. You got to practice at it, especially the sports side, which usually consumes way more than the academic side. How did you pull off a Harvard type of grades, man? Um, <coughs> you said about being smart. I'm not smart. Uh, I don't think I'm smart at all, actually. Um, It's, 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 it's working, right? And, and, and my parents making it very – like, I love baseball. By the way, I loved baseball back then. Eventually, 
that changed, but that's another story. Right. Um, they said that if I wanted to play baseball, my grade, my grades had to maintain at the top level. Was so that I, straight A's? Was that straight A's? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, straight A's. Um, I got no. In, in in high school, one time I got a B plus, my sophomore year in Spanish. In oh Spanish. no, in Spanish, bro. Uh, but uh, but yeah, actually it was above. You know, I think I I think I was number two in my class. Uh, How much studying did you do? That well, that's the thing. I, because I wasn't very smart, I had to put extra work in um to to to, to do that. So a bit, you know, quite a bit. Um, did you go out at all in high school? Did you get to go out? Do you have a chick at all? Like, what? How'd you pull that off? Oh yeah, yeah. We we me and Mendez and, and oh yeah, we 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 mixed it up. Pretty well, how? Okay, so tell me. Okay, let's do this. This is even more important. This is this is what we. This is what the people need to hear. Okay, how were you able to play for Westminster, top school in the country at the time, get straight A's, and take down chicks in Miami? All in a weekend. Explain to me your weekend, bro. Let's go. What time would you wake up? How would you do it? Come on. Well, our, our you, you know, never stop, right? So we wake up, I'd wake up early, uh, obviously, to, to, to get to school. Uh, our, our practice, our school ended like at three. Our practices started at 3.09. That's the time Coach Hoffman started, 3.09. We had nine minutes. To, to change get, it, to do everything. To get your ass on the field. And we would stop when the sun came down, uh, for the most part. A, after that, a, I had a hitting coach, a private hitting coach, and me and some of the guys. Uh, Who'd you hit with? Leo Posada. Leo Posada. With, which is Jorge's uncle. So you would do the air team. Yeah, man. So, so we would go. I, I love Leo. Uh, and and we would uh, a group of us, Jose Nicholas, Mike Mendez, Juan Chitoti, a bunch of guys, three times a week, and sometimes I go more after practice. We That's go awesome. That's awesome. Um, and then if I didn't have with Leo, uh, every every day after practice I go. So so remember Grand Slam batting cage in Tropical Park? Of course. It's still there. I had my dad got me the uh, a little membership there that I could get ten tokens. Ten tokens. Every token was eighteen pitches. So every day after after practice, you know, when we do all our you know three hours of practice, I'd go either to Leo or to Tropical Park. I get my if it was Tropical Park, it was it was I get my, what I could get ten tokens, eighteen pitches, one hundred eighty swing. All right, hold on. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Okay, whoa, let's go. Okay, now, what speed are you hitting at Grand Slam? The, the fastest they had was 90. So you were hitting 90? Yeah, 90. Okay. With Leo Posada, what did he fix in your swing? Or what were things that you guys would work on that helped you? Man, Leo, Leo's a, I mean, Leo's like a savant. Uh, the guy, the guy, in terms, it, 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 it was twofold. It was here, mentally. And then obviously the mechanics. The mechanics can be fixed, um, you know, in terms of, be, you know, 
being tense as opposed to relaxing uh, and also mentally, you know, mentally relaxing and thinking about, you know, strategy. Um, but yeah, there was, there was holes in my swings. And when I get in slumps, we, we'd work on that. But the most important thing that Leo did was after Westminster. It was in college after I had my accident. Um, when I lost my eye, I lost my, my left eye, the vision in my left eye. <clears throat> so you can imagine you lose, you lose an eye, you lose de your depth perception. Hitting a baseball with two eyes is, 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 is hard enough with one eye and, you know, lack of depth perception. Javi, was that your dominant eye? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, a, I was a righty and, and you know, this is the eye I saw, you know, my, it was my lead eye. Uh, and, and it was also my dominant eye. So Leo got me and had to break me down. First of all, the doctor said, it was funny because I was pre-med, okay? And I had a really bad experience in, uh, in, in, in Mass Ioneer. Remember the doctor, I'll never forget his name, Dr. Dr. Diamico. My dad told me after that, he almost knocked this guy out for what he told me. I was 18 years old, man. I had just, you know. Javi, how'd you get hit in the eye though? What, what was the accident? In short, I was comiendo mierda, but how it happened was I was throwing batting practice uh, to uh, to one of my one of my teammates. This was the first month I got I got the, I got to Harvard September fourth, nineteen ninety eight. My accident happened September twenty eighth, nineteen ninety eight. I've been there for twenty four days, um, and uh, we have an L screen, obviously, you know. And dude, so I throw, I throw, I throw the ball, and we're like 30 feet away. Obviously, it's batting practice. And and Joe Giannis, by the way, the only other Hispanic on the team, right? Uh, a Mexican brother, uh, hit a fucking laser right up the middle, and it was, it was just right. And, and me, like an idiot, instead of turning this way to get behind the net, for some reason, I turned this way. Oh my god! And it just went. Oh my and God. Uh, you know, broke. It broke all these bones. I had to have surgery to repair that. It actually had to re-break my jaw. That was interesting. But the way I lost the eye was that it hit me right there, uh, and basically, the uh, the impact ruptured uh, the back of my retina. So the back of my retina is now all it has all scar tissue line. So that's why I can't see. Um, Funny stories that they were all worried about the eye, the eye, the eye, and then they realized that I had really a big issue with my jaw, that the bones had kind of been inverted. But I remember I was in the hospital for two weeks, and I couldn't open my jaw. But they're like, "Hey, it's just you." I, they had taken the mirrors out of my of my room. Yeah, so you don't have to see it. See, first of all, I couldn't see out of my right eye for the first like five days because of the pressure. So not I, I, for five days there, I was completely blind. Um, okay, hold on. What are you telling yourself? Those five days, are you listening to music? Like, cause you weren't listening to a positive podcast during that. So why do you, how are you motivating yourself, man? I was, I was, you remember coming from Westminster being, you know, we won, you know, back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back state titles, national titles, you know, All-American. Like, to me, this wasn't a big issue. This was going to get resolved. They were telling me that, you know, that you lose your – like, 
I'm like, bro, okay, in a few, in a couple weeks, it's gonna, it was the it was the opposite. They're like, oh, what do you think? I was like, I never thought I was never gonna get not get my vision back. Right. I was like, and if and if I need to have surgery to fix, you know, whatever the fuck's going on in the eye, I was gonna have it. And by the way, they told me that what I had was a detached uh, retina, right? So uh, I was gonna have to have this surgery that they put a gas bubble in your eye, and you have to have, you literally have to, you have to buy this kind of bed, like a massage kind of bed, because so so you're you're facing down for five weeks, so that the gas can obviously goes up oh and it can reattach. I remember that the day before the pre-op, we we go in and the doctor says, uh, so I got good news and bad news. I go, all right. He goes, the good news is your 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 retina is not detached. Um it's very much attached. So you don't need the surgery. I go, honey, that's great. What's the bad news? What's the bad news is it's worse. It's the retina is destroyed. There's no attaching or it's that it's it's full of scar tissue. And for us to go to the back of the retina and try and remove the scar tissue, we're just gonna create more scar tissue. Oh, um, so you're effed until, uh, you, you know, there's eye transplants, which is, a, which is another interesting story, you know, cause now I go to Bascom Palmer, I have a doctor, Dr. Harry Flynn, who's like the, the guy about, uh, you know, in, in retinal ophthalmology, he's also a Harvard guy, very serious guy, right? I mean, the guy's like the professor at UM. Yeah, people every year we go, and I always ask them, hey, like, the first year when I went, I go, all right, so let's do this eye transplant thing, bro. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, uh, he looks at me like I got, like, a penis growing out of my forehead. He's like, what are you talking about? I go, you guys do heart transplants. You do liver transplants. You do, okay, it's just an eye. He goes, Javi, Javi, let me explain this to you. He goes, your eye is part of your brain. Your optic nerve it, think about it this way. It's your optic nerve is first of all, it's connected to your brain. But think of a, of a huge semiconductor with millions of little wires, right? And you get a huge chainsaw and just cut that. And then you got to get another kind of semiconductor and make sure that every single of those millions of wires is is, is attached. He's like, we're not even close. I was back in '98, so every year I go back for my checkup. And I go, hey, anything on the tech, you know, there's always technology. And he's always like, no, not even close. No, they're working on this. No, no, no. So like four years ago, <laughs> four years ago, I go and I go, so, so, so Doc, hey, what's up with the with, with tech? You know, we, I transplants. And he goes, well, I've got, and this guy's like a bow tie kind of guy, right? Very, he goes, well, I have good news and bad news. First time he'd ever said that, because usually he's just like, no, there's nothing to report. I go, oh, awesome. He goes, the good news is that in Switzerland, they are starting to do uh, eye transplants on frogs, which have very similar optic nerves to humans. I was like, wow, awesome, bro. That's fucking great. I go, well, what's the bad news? He goes, the bad news is there's a lot of blind frogs in Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, no, we're not close. 
Oye, Javi, just to make a little light of the situation, were you ever like, fuck it, I'm going to rock a pirate patch? <laughs> you know, they told me to do that. They told me to because they're like, once, like, some odds, like, if, if, if once you F up one eye, the odds of you screwing up your other eye, I guess just because you only have one left, like, somehow go up. And, and they were like, they had me get, remember Steve Urkel? Yeah, of course. Okay, so Steve Urkel type glasses with shields on it. And I was like, no, bro, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wear this shit. You're not gonna wear that shit, huh? Like life's gonna happen, and 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 you know, the one thing I like, I had to work on on baseball coming back because I remember that first day going back to the field, and they threw me that first ball, and I swung, and I missed the ball by like three feet because I saw the ball ready to hit here. But the ball was – it wasn't here. It was over here. It was way over there, huh? Like, Oye, what made you so good as a hitter? Was it going the opposite field? Was it you had real fast hands, power, strike zone awareness? I was very disciplined. I, 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 I stayed within, you know, within the zone, so I was okay with, with, with taking walks. What batter were you? Uh – Fourth in Westminster, I was fourth in between fourth and third. I, I kind of like being third better um, than fourth, but you know, coach, coach would put me in third and fourth. So it was Jose was either behind you and Manny in front of you, or how was that? Jose was our leadoff hitter. They had, they had a, imagine a team that you have like a six four, six three leadoff guy in high school. And, and it's funny because at first, imagine a first rounder, okay, 6'3", first round draft pick was your leadoff hitter. Looked like a man already. Like a man. The guy looked like a, like a, like a, like a freaking Michelangelo sculpture, bro. Yeah. He looks like a Michelangelo. The guy's Jack. He's yeah. one of my best friends. Uh, but, but, but Coach Hoffman um, actually – like to put his a rod was lead off. Why? Because coach wanted coach Hoffman wanted uh, uh, his best hitter or his best hitters to get as many at bats and opportunities as possible. So nice. he's a little bit unorthodox in that. And he and he goes, Javi, I want you to be lead off. And we did it a couple times, and I really I just didn't like it because I like to watch at least a couple batters and watch the pitcher. And I thought, well, I really don't like this, bro. And he actually, for the first time, actually listened. He goes, okay, you know, we'll put you back to fourth or whatever. Um, but, yeah, so I was uh, I was uh, the, the fourth batter. Did you have a walk-up song? In uh, in Harvard I did. In Westminster we did not do that. What, would you, what was it in Harvard? Colin Baton Rouge by Garth Brooks. I became a huge country fan. Music country music fan in Westminster because when I got to Westminster, it was the six foot three, six foot four Americanos with buzz cuts, and it was like Redneckville. I mean, it was like there were no Hispanics there at that time. There was a, like a drought in '88. Dave Valdez was like the first Hispanic, and then Alex came in like '93, and then we kind of when I got there '94. It was 
I mean, dude, Westminster's on 158th and Old Cuddler, okay? Yeah. Was, so I, I became a huge, huge country music fan. So what was dad, the name of the song? Colin Baton Rouge. Oh, Colin Baton So that's a, probably a town? Yeah, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. Okay. Recruiting. How was that? What were your options? Recruiting was a lot. Recruiting's changed a lot. It's amazing how much recruiting's changed that you're allowed to speak to kids like as early as like your freshman year or sophomore and at your sophomore. Come in, come in as a freshman. That's insane to me. Yeah. Uh, when I was there, they couldn't talk to you until your um, until your senior year had started or like two weeks before your senior year. At that time, we were allowed five official recruiting trips. That's it. Official meaning that they pay for. Um, so I was speaking to, uh, by the way, I wanted to go to UM. That UM was a spot. There. That UM, was a spot. Because that's where my boy, that's where, you know, Maddie. Uh, by the way, if I would have gone, I would have had, I would have won two national championships because they won it in like 99 and 99, 2001. Yeah, like that was, I would have been right there with you. Know, Aitawa Maddie, Aitawa. A Mark Walker, like a whole bunch of my my boys were going there. Um, so it was funny. I I actually took a, an official recruiting trip to UM because I wanted the full experience. I stayed. I remember my hosts were uh, Pat Burrow and uh, and his uh, Jason. Talk about that, Jason Michael. Of course, a Montro man. So they lived together, bro. This was crazy. They lived together with you know the the, the sensations, the dancers. Yeah. Uh, they had a house. It was Pat, Jason, and two of the sensations living in a house. In a house. And I was like, what is this? Like, this was is Pat wearing Daisy Dukes or no? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was an interesting character. What did he tell you? How did you know you were going to have the best player? In the, he was already the best player in the country, no? No. Or not yet. No, he was young. He was... Uh, Think about it. This was 1997, 98. So he, he was young. Like he, yeah, uh, that year coming, you know, cause remember like I, I'm doing my, my, my trips at the beginning. Right. So their season. Oh, yeah, started. 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 He obviously became that Jason Michaels at the time was more established than Pat. Cause I think he was a year older. Um, but that was amazing. So I was talking to UM. Florida State. And by the way, my head it was UM. All this other stuff was just to go see the schools. Um, UM, FSU. Uh, I took a, an official trip to, uh, to Georgetown, which was a beautiful place. Uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and then all the Ivy Leagues: Harvard, Yale, uh, Cornell. I took a trip to Cornell. That place was crazy. Uh, Brown. First time I ever got hammered was in Brown because I didn't know. I didn't drink uh, in, in high school. I didn't know what grain alcohol was. And I don't know what grain alcohol is. I don't, I've never drank in my life. So what is grain alcohol? Grain alcohol is like, is like Everclear. It's like, uh, you don't taste it. It's like, so they put it in this punch, right? And I thought it was just, dude, I was so, like, we were machines in, in Westminster. It was workout, baseball, school, like, that's what we did, and you know, and then we did Jodera, but not drinking or drugs or anything like that. Uh, so I'm on my I'm on my official recruiting trip to Brown, 
and they, they're having tremendo Bayou Fiesta, man. It was two of the best parties I've ever been to. Really? Those people know how to party. And, and, and my hosts were, were part of a frat, so they live in the frat. Javi, they really knew you were Cuban? They could tell you were Cuban from Miami? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cuban, yeah. They, they like and, that, and you crush it already. You could just come in and Cuban from Miami. You crush it. First time I ever saw an ice luge. You know, the, the ice luge that they, you know, they carve out. And you yeah, you see in the movies. Yeah, you see in the movies. Bro, I was like, so anyways, so I remember they give me this this red solo cup with this punch, right? And I do the, the luge, and I'm like, and I've had like five of these. And I, I and the guy's name was Fuz. I go, Fuz, I go, oh, man, this is really amazing. Now you guys have so much fun and you're not even drinking alcohol. <laughs> and he's like, goes, how many of those have you had, no? I go, not like four or five. He goes, oh God. Um, bro, I've never been more sick in my life. I threw up then the next morning at 6.30 in the morning, I had uh, breakfast with the head coach, Marek Drabinski. I remember the guy's name was. He was six four Polish guy, and to meet with him, bro, I was green, and I I had to get up from breakfast like three times to go throw up. Wow! And like the third time I come back and he goes, hey, he goes, what did they do to you? <laughs> like he, 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 I was like, Everclear. I go, I didn't know it was alcohol. He goes, yeah. Uh, well, you'll learn here. Uh, and you know, he he was cool. He was cool as hell. But yeah, so I was talking to those schools. Uh, I talked to, I was talking to Stanford. Um, no, Stanford would have been nice, bro. That'd have been a good yeah. one too. And you know what's funny? Again, I had the papers to sign with UM. I was ready to go, and I took my trip to Harvard, and it was in February. And February is the coldest month there. But I remember that that weekend was kind of one of those like Indian summer. It was like an anomaly. It was like maybe like in the high 40s and i'm like i'm like hey like is it like is this it like this is fair reserve they're like yeah this is, it doesn't get much worse than this i'm like oh, yeah, right. and i just wanted to go i just went to, to i took that trip just to i wanted to just see the campus and i'm like i'm never gonna go here I don't, i'm not gonna fit in here there's a bunch of nerds they're a lot smarter than me i'll never make it here they you know i'm less than but hey if they want to pay for me to go and look at the i heard it's beautiful so i'll go check it out so I come back, and I remember it was a Tuesday. I woke up, and I had this thought. I had never gotten hurt before. Uh, and I had this thought that came into my head, which, looking back, it's God, like, putting this into my head. He goes, I go, what if I get hurt? Well, if I get hurt, where would I want to be in school? Would you want to be in UN, or would you rather be up in Harvard? But, I, but the thought of me getting hurt was, like, crazy because, you know, we're 18 – we're at the top of the world. You're Superman, buddy. You're Superman. And you thought this as you were walking in Harvard? No. When I came back. When you came back. I remember it was a Tuesday morning. I was going to school. I woke up and I had this thought in my head because I was about to sign with UN. And I go, what if I get hurt? And well, if I get hurt, I probably want to be in Harvard. Mind you, the idea was never to graduate from Harvard. First of all, because I never thought I was going to graduate. I, I was going to make it through. The idea was just to get a little bit higher in the draft. And after my, you know, junior year, I'm out. I think uh, in talking to, to, I was talking to Atlanta, uh, to the Braves in high school, and I think I was going to go around like the 10th round. So I wanted to go, you know, the 10th round. And by that time, the, the signing bonus wasn't, wasn't too good. Uh, so I wanted to 
increase my status in the draft and get the hell out. And I remember Mike talking about Mendez. <laughs> he also thought that I was never going to make it through Harvard. So he goes, bro, if you graduate from Harvard, I'll fly up there on your graduation and I'll buy you a Rolex. I was like, all right, deal. And obviously what happens, happens. You know, my baseball life changed, you know, with my accident. Although I did come back and play when we thought about that. But long story short about that, to his, to his, to, 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 to his credit, graduation, Mike Mendes flew up. And he had a, I remember it was a green box. That's the green box. Yes, sir. Uh, and I thought the gift was a beautiful leather. I thought it was like a jewelry box. And, you know, I didn't have, are you kidding me? I didn't have a watch. And uh, and I go, oh, bro, thanks, man. Like, it's a beautiful jewelry box. He's like, he goes, bro, open it. <laughs> I thought it was, just, I thought the gift was like the box. And, and I opened it and it was a Rolex. And I was like, Holy shit! I go, what bro, type? Bro. Do you remember what type? You still have it? It was an Air King. It was my favorite, my favorite watch, and uh, it was stolen from me by a homeless guy. Uh, I had it for, I had it for thirteen years. How did a homeless guy steal it from you? It's a great story. I was uh, when I was in my single days. I I lived in the Grove. I walked through the Grove. I was with my friends. And Senor Frogs, where were you going? Senor Frogs, where, where were you headed? I think I was in Barracudas. Okay. And uh, and I'm walking back home, and there's this homeless guy that we strike up a conversation. And he's like, hey, man. Like, hey, walk with me, man. Like, let's start like, chatting with him. And we're talking. And I invite him. Hey, come to my live close by. You want to have a drink together? Oh. Have a cigar? And the guy's like, yeah, man. So we, <laughs> I invite him into my, into my house. And I remember I took my watch off and I placed it on top of my kitchen counter. We go outside and I'm with I'm with this guy for like two hours and he's telling me about his grandma, I'm telling me about my life. I you know, give him, you know, we share a few beers. I take out a nice cigar for him, for me, like we hug, bro. The next morning, and you know, he leaves. And the next morning I wake up and the air thing was gone. Oh. And bro, that that really that was really like crushing. And did you have insurance on it or no? No, man. I like, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know. I, like, that wasn't even. I had never even thought about getting insurance on a watch. Yeah. I was like, now, like, I know about that, but like. What type of watch do you have now? Right now, I have. Are you a watch guy? First of all, I, I like watches. Okay. Uh, I have, I have a, a, a Rolex that that another friend of mine gave me. No, you got the right boys, bro. See, that's <laughs> I do, I do. A and 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 a Panerai that another friend of mine gave. Now, you know, it's not just give. Like one of my buddy Joey, uh, he uh, it's because of a case that we had that 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 we that that we did very well on. And I remember that when uh, when when he brought. We we're doing these force place insurance cases. It's, it's, it's case against the banks where they, if you have a, a lapse in your insurance, they they force place insurance on you, and it's like fifty times the premium. And they were getting kickbacks and all this stuff. And I remember that Joey, he does like he does immigration. Uh, he's a solo, and I, I'm like, look, we're looking for these particular. We're, look, we're looking for plaintiffs against this list of of lenders. If you find if you find me 
a plaintiff, like, you know, your refer, referral counsel. And um, anyways, it turns out like his wife's mom was a mortgage broker. So she like, he gets to work and he finds like three plaintiffs for three different. And I go, look, I, you know, if this works out for you, Joey, like you're going to make, you're going to make a good amount of money. Uh, and I go, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking for anything. I'm like, I go, but you know what, bro? If this thing works out the way it might, get me a Rolex. He goes, bro, if this works out like you like, like you saying, you got it. Did you tell him what type you wanted? Anything, Javi? Or you just said, give me a Rolex? No, no, no. I didn't care. I didn't, but I was, it was kind of a joke. Right. Like, I, was, I wasn't I was being serious. But anyways, fast forward two, three years, and Joey gets, we settle the case. And, you know, I won't say Joey's last name, but we'll say Joey. Joey gets combined between the case like like a half million dollars. And, um, and, uh, and 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 you know, coming as a solo that was probably making 70, 80 grand. I mean, that's like something that's like six years worth of salary. And I remember him and his uh, it was it was two guys that had gotten the referral. He has like a, a partner. They called me up and they're like, hey, come downstairs. We want to grab a drink because I work in, the, in, in Ponce, right where the Flemings are like, oh, let's have a drink. Bro, and similarly, they show up. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, congratulations. And uh, and they give me this, this Rolex. Uh, again, it, it was uh, it, it was like a date just, you know, nothing, not one of the, the but, it, but, but that watch to me means so much. Oh, yeah, there's a story behind that, man. But also because... You know, Joey was able to, um, you know, he was high. He had just had another baby. Uh, he was high in credit card debt. Uh, you know, times were tough. He had a high mortgage. And with that money, he was able to come out of debt, uh, you know, pay the house. Uh, and actually, they got another house. So helping him out like that, like that, that to me was 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 what it was all about. So, so you know, is is there a watch that's that, that, that I have that might be more expensive than that? Maybe uh, a watch that I got from my grandfather, uh, which is I got on my 18th birthday, which was his first watch that he bought in 1951 in Cuba. It's a Patek Philippe. Wow. Uh, that that back then in the 50s, Cuervo y Sobrino was a very famous jewelry store in Havana, and Patek was making watches for that store. So it says Cuervo y Sobrinos on the face, and he wow. gave it to me. He gave that to me for my 18th birthday. But, you know, that watch, the watch Joey gave me and another watch that, that my buddy Ben gave me for another reason, like those are, by the way, I think that's, I think that's right. And then like uh, a couple like uh, everyday watches. But, you know, those are the ones that, that, that really would mean more than if I went and I spent, X. first of all, right now there's no money to spend. <laughs> like my dad would say, con que culo se siente la cucara. But, uh, but yeah, that you know, that's what's valuable to me. Javi, do you think, man? I think yes, but you think looking at you today, man, your dad would be super proud of you. I hope so. Um, I think he would because you think because because I'm trying my best. Um, it, I'm I'm far. I'm very flawed. I'm a very deeply flawed person. Just just ask my wife. So when you mean flawed, flawed like how? What flaws do you think you have? 
I suffer from anxiety. I suffer from depression. Um, Before the accident or that came with the accident? Or your whole life? Um, it's a good question. I don't know when it started. I'd say, I'd say more after, after, after the accident. Um, more after the accident. Although I did have some anxiety regarding baseball and it was unintended. Uh, my mom was always very nervous for me and for her. So to the point where she couldn't watch me hit. If, if she went to the game, and it was my turn to hit, she'd leave the stands so right. she could watch. Right. And because it would really affect her if I struck out, 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 out to the point where she stopped going to my games altogether because it really affected her. So I always had this anxiety that if I did bad, and again, she didn't like, she wasn't like, you need to do good. It was just her shit. And you knew but, that's what she would feel. But I knew that it would bother her. So if I didn't do well, I knew that it was going to affect my mom. And uh, and that created a lot. I guess maybe that's where anxiety started. And then through, you know, what happened in college and with the coach, the coach that I had there, um, more anxiety, um, you know, dealing with relationships, like romantic relationships. Uh, that was where I had started getting into the world of depression. Let me ask you a question. Now let's talk about that for a second because we don't – listen – we're so underprepared to deal with the world that it's crazy as men. And even you that had a dad, if you that had a dad that was an all-American dad, like all-American, first-team all-American, imagine us that didn't have where we're at. So when you say relationships, what was the, what was the problem there? Was it that you wanted every woman to be like your mom? Was it that you were a kind of guy that made the mistake of being extremely honest with women? And then that tricked them, and then that made you seem a little weak, and you didn't have game. What was the thing that you felt was like, man, I, this girl thing is depressing me? Or were you just not happy with anybody? Like, I'm never going to be able to settle down. What was your thing? Yeah, I was, I was, um, I was dishonest with with them. Um, you like know, you had other chicks, you always had other chicks, and said, oh, hey, listen, you're not there. Yeah, I, I, I had. Um, you know, I thought I was being, uh, you know, a guy, a, a man. That's what men do, which is which is complete bullshit because a real man. Of course, of course. Right. no, real man's honest. A real man, right? Exactly. Um, and uh, you know, dealing. De so, you know, and I had some expectations that you know, I think were unrealistic, and unfair, and selfish. Um. On, on, you know, the, the, the girlfriend that I was dating, uh, that, that I dated for eight years. Um, and, 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 and I also had, you know, personal issues, you know, I was dealing, uh, with, uh, with some addiction issues, um, not, not to, you know, alcohol or drugs, but I had some, some addiction issues that was never going to allow me and, and until I dealt with that. I was never going to be able to, did you go to therapy for that? The therapy started for anxiety and depression, but yeah, it turned into absolutely for 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 the addiction as well. Um, and and that being able to say yes to therapy is big, uh, big, especially as a Latin dude, bro, with the machismo and the testosterone we have. They, like it's a sign of they're like that's weak, right? 
And, and, the, and the truth of the matter is that seeking help is the opposite of weak. It's, it's a reverse. It's, 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 it's very courageous to, to say. When did you notice you had an addiction problem there, Javi? I would say probably about 10 years ago. No, maybe, maybe. See, here's the thing. You can probably think of, you can probably guess what the addiction is, right? I thought I was just being a guy, right? Uh, addicted to women. Um, and that now, because I look at it, and I want to share my thing with that. Um, my thing with women was very interesting because I use that because I'm the same. I've never drank in my life. I've never done drugs. But as a guy that suffered from identity issues, because like an example, let's say I would have played against Westminster in high school. I did not go to a cool high school. I didn't have cool clothes. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a TV in my room. I had zero freedom. I didn't have a cool haircut. So I had zero going on except my baseball game. That's, that's what I, and my look. I had a good look because of whatever. I had my height, 6'2", blah, blah, whatever, whatever. But I had nothing else. So I would have seen you guys and been like, oh, my God. These are the guys. These are my guys. This is where I want. I had a coach that had zero swag. So he was, it was a lot like, remember Southwest in the 90s? Like, la pinta y la jodera que tenía esa gente. That was like, Esteban Barrios, Mark Suarez, Castillo, Nick Alvarez, my boy Nick Alvarez. All these people had this like hat backwards thing. And here at Braddock, we were like, oh no, cookie cutter. You had to warm up all course. The worst, the worst, the worst. And I used, I've used up until I got married. I've used, and so, listen, it's it's open opportunity for me. It's put me in trouble, in a lot of trouble. But I used women to show off to guys. Like, look at me. This is I now I fit in. I've used it for my advantages. I've used it for money to get ahead in life. And my problem was, and I want to hear how you look at yours. My problem with all that was that I was, I've always, and I tell this to people, in my, I had that with identity issues. So I didn't know, like all of a sudden I saw you, I would see you, and if I had hair and I go, Coño, I want to be like Javi, my pain, I would paint my, I would comb my hair exactly like yours, because that's the guy who's winning. So that's, that's instead, of his, instead of accepting his mindset, I would accept your look. Hmm. So look how crazy that is. I had a very, this guy's probably the most successful guy in the history of Miami nightclubs, and probably in the nightclubs in the country. And the dude looked at me when we were in Los Angeles, I lived with him for a little bit, and he would call me the talented Mr. Ripley. He would, he would go to me, bro, because I imitated his walk. He had an accent. I didn't do his accent. And this was like a legit tough guy, like known tough guy. And people thought that I was his bodyguard. And I never throw, and I've never thrown a punch in my life. But that's how when I saw something that I felt, that's finally that's it. So that was my thing, man, with, when it came to women. I got lucky like you. I got married at 37. As a man already with a ton of mistakes and a ton of stuff. And, and now it could be honest, you know. What would you use women for? Um, really just my, my selfish, like, desires. Uh, you know, being, it was all about me and not about them. Um, and that's that was that that was a, that was that was a big problem and the the addiction part 
um, you know, living a, you know somewhat like a, a, a double you know, life. No, yeah, a double life. In secret, a, I just thought that that's you know that it wasn't a problem uh, because that's what you know men were supposed to do, which is again completely. Oh, and especially Cuban men, especially just right up our alleys. Like, oh, tranquilo, exactly. double life. And um, until until you know, I kind of hit the rock bottom where the two worlds collided, mm -hmm. and the shit hit the fan. Did I realize? Wait, you got a problem, bro. Like you, and, and they're like, well, when, when, when do you know that you have an addiction? And I said, I, I, I was asked that question through at an amazed retreat. Um, I go, I think I, I don't know. I'm not a therapist, but I think this is probably a safe answer. If you, if you, if there, if there's something that you know is not right that you don't want to do right but you can't stop yourself from doing it and you do it anyways knowing i don't want to do this i shouldn't be doing this this could cost uh this could have repercussions and you do it anyway because you can't say no yeah, that's a problem i think you're an addict <laughs> i think you're pretty safe it's pretty safe to say you're joining the club and look the addiction the 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 the, the, the vice could be anything right i mean there's addiction to 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 to, to gambling food, gambling eating women pornography uh, alcohol you working out yeah steroids you name it you name it you name it. trying to fill right you're trying to fill something with that and as i you know as i get older and i you know i meet you know other lawyers and more professionals you know i i see people trying to fill that with toys Oh, Honyo, I got a new, this brand new car, this, you know, high-end car. I got this new boat. I got this. And the, the truth of the matter is that no, nothing material is going to fill like this void that you have, right? For me, it's right. my faith and, um, and God, uh, only God can fill it. It doesn't matter if I, if I get another watch, right? That might make you happy for like a day. And then you're back. It, it, that's not going to work. Javi, have you always had faith? Yes. Yes and no. Uh, my faith, like, you know, we, I, would, I was raised Catholic. We went to right. church more sometimes than other times. I went to a Christian, you know, Westminster Christian. Right, right. Uh, but I really got into my walk after Emmaus. After That's Emmaus. Right. Uh, and after my father passed away in 2013 and um, really more over the last like five years or so uh, where I've been a part of being able to be on Amaze teams nice. and, and also getting closer to my brother who, uh, who, by the way, my brother's life, you know, my brother was the Miami, like Super good looking. The cross. He was a CrossFit trainer, one of the original CrossFit trainers. What's his name? Assis. Well, he's your dad. He has your dad's name. Yeah, he has my dad's name. My 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 name. My name's not Assis. So so we're all Assis somewhere. I'm Javier Assis. It's because my my grandfather had an obsession with the life of Saint Francis of Assisi. Uh, yeah. who's a huge you know. My, you know, our house, like I named my house Via Sisi because that's what my grandpa, 
everybody. So my dad's Assis. There was a brother named Javier Assis. And then there's my, my uncle that's still alive, Fidel Assis. Oh, Fidel. They named Fidel. Yeah. Guess when he was born? 1959 when Fidel was a baby. <laughs> but my son is Aiden Assis. My nephew's, uh, you know, Dominic Assis. Everybody's Assis. Um, they named me Javier Assis because my, my uncle, uh, who I never got to meet, uh, whose name was my dad's middle brother, who they were very close, uh, was killed in a uh, 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 go-karting accident on A Street, Gaiocha and like... Wait, hey, bro, why do you think... Now talk about this. I've never talked to a dude that has death around him so much, bro, and being such a good dude, man. Why do you think that is? That's like, it's like crazy. You know... I always thought like it was interesting because growing up I had all four grandparents and I always I thought I was like you know I wanted to pass away before because I love my grandparents so much that I was so close I talked to them every I call them every single day and up until 2009 there everybody was alive wow um, and then I look back and then people just started dying right boom 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 but then I was like wait a second. In high school, two of my best friends died. Juanchi, uh, you know, me and Mike Mendez, we started Juntos, the the the, the, the charity. Yeah, yeah. In their in their in their memory, Juanchi uh, was that Toti. That, no, Toti was my freshman year in 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 college, right after my accident. Um, a. So Juan, I'm sorry, Juanchi was fresh freshman year. Toti was sophomore year. Juanchi was diagnosed at 18 years old, uh, our senior with bone cancer. Um, and, and he ended up passing away. By the way, we go to his house after practice and, you know, hang out because he was, he was doing the homeschool thing. And, right. you know, uh, and he went into remission. And I remember... It came back when I left up to up to. I came back with a vengeance, and the last the last person I visited before I left to Boston was Fonchi. He was in Shan's Hospital in UF, in Gainesville, and um, and I remember the day that I got when I went back to the doctor because my jaw was still not. Everything was kind of getting better, the swelling, but I couldn't open. And I remember I got to the doctor. I'm like, something's something's off. I had lost 20 pounds. He goes. Go get x-rays. He goes, bring him right back up. And I remember I brought him back up and he put it up. And I remember he goes, uh-oh, I'll never forget that. I'm like, what happened? He goes, he goes, they missed it. I go, what? He goes, your your bones, your mandible and your maxilla are inverted. They're on top of each other. That's why you can't open. He goes, so the good news is I know I know why you can't open. The bad news is it's been about six weeks. You, as an 18, as a healthy 18-year-old, your bones heal real quickly. In about six weeks. So the bad news is we're gonna have to go in there and re-break your face. Oh, um, you have to have surgery tomorrow. That was a Wednesday. I got home that night and I had a call. My my roommate at the time said, Your sister said, your sister just called, it was like 9:30, and Jesse to call at 9:30. She goes to bed at like eight. She says, Call whatever time. So I get back, it's like now 10. I call to say Juan Cheese. Wanchi's doing really bad. Uh, if you want to see him, you got you got to come down. I got in the plane. I go. Have, I called the doctor. Said, "Hey, surgeries. We're not doing surgery." I go, "Bro, 
if you got to re-break it, we're going to re-break it if right. it's this week or next week. Uh, so I remember I came down. I went from the hospital, from the airport straight to Miami Children's. And I was watching it from that Thursday um, till Friday morning. We had rescheduled the surgery for Saturday. Um, and he died uh, Friday, like a two in the morning. So past Thursday night and he died. Um, and the, the we we're going to have the funeral the next day. And I was going to be one of the, the pallbearers. And, uh, and my dad knew I had to get back to Boston to have surgery. So my dad spoke to Juan Chi's dad. Very smart. And well, his name was Juan. And he came to because I said, I'm not going back for the surgery. Like, fuck that. Like, we'll do it next week. Like, and and Juan, my dad had Juan call me. And he goes, Listen, Juan Chi would want you to go back and get this thing. You need to get this done. There's a real problem here. Because there was it was true the longer the longer I waited. Yeah, of course, of course. It was gonna be an issue. He goes, You need to go back and have your surgery tomorrow. I'm asking you on Juan Chi's behalf. So that's what we did. Me and my dad hopped on a plane back yeah. to Boston. Damn, bro. For the next day, went into surgery, cracked it all up again, and uh, you know, I think uh you look, great. Right. You look great, dude. You look great. You know, my my fear at all has always been I never now, you as a father, I've never wanted to I really never wanted to get married and I never wanted to have kids because of the vulnerability of that. And there's a real famous my first famous night when I reconnected with uh with my wife. We were at my nightclub hiding the Bellagio, and we're sitting there. There's this table, it was table 16. When I say my club, I was vice president of customer development yeah. for the company. And table 16 sits on the fountains. And I hadn't seen this girl since high school. I saw her one time. I go, this girl's stopped me, stopped me right there. I go, wow, this girl's really hot. Kind of looked like she was checking me out, smiled at me. I didn't say anything back because I had zero game. I had zero nothing. And you could tell, I could tell she had a lot going on. I go, there's no way a animal is going to look at me and be like, oh, cool. I, I, had, I had no freedom. I had no phone. It would have been a disaster. I would have gotten exposed by everybody. So I just let that go. Reconnected with her with, through Facebook in 2011. Went on the best first date of my life. 2011, as I'm still living in L.A. Long story short, I'm living in L.A. I go, I'm not going to settle with this girl. It didn't work out. She's like, this guy's, you can tell this guy's a player. Hey, this guy's character is out of control, blah, blah, blah. Bro, and she reaches out to me that to throw her best friend's bachelorette party four years after that in Las Vegas. Oh, shit. And I go, oh. And this girl broke my heart. Like, literally broke my heart. I go, oh, on my territory, my town, she is dead, bro. And I had it all set up. Imagine. I go, text me when you're outside a hide. I'm going to walk you in. And it was her with her, like, five friends. Javi, we're here. She doesn't text me. But I was already outside waiting. But let me see if this, because this girl was always, like, to me, she's like a wild stallion, bro. She, she just couldn't control this girl, you know? And I had Cuban girl. I never wanted to be with a Cuban girl because I've always, I'd always felt that they kind of knew our tricks. So I wanted, <laughs> they knew the playbook. I know what you're saying, bro. 
I hear you. <laughs> hey, these girls, they know the playbook. So I was like, listen. And I always felt like if I get an America girls like me conquering America, kind of like the Ricky, Ricky Ricardo thing. And I stayed away, bro. I really stayed away. But I go, there's something. And you, you mentioned the faith thing. I go, there's something about this thing. Bro, I sat there. I watched her get in the club. She looked gorgeous. I remember her looking at herself in the mirror. She walked right in. I go to the front guy. I go, listen, man, is table 16 available? Because, yeah, the club, unless it was peak nights or certain tables that were available. And I go, give me table 16. We're talking about a $5,000 minimum table. Give me table 16. Put two, th uh, two bottles of vodka there for me. Put a bottle of champagne there for me. Give me all the mixers. This is all for free because I'm, I'm the man. So they would hook me up. I would give me all that. Leave that there. Have a security guard there waiting for me. Give me the server. You're going to love the story. And have everybody there waiting for me. I go inside to get her. This is the best. Imagine a super hot girl at a nightclub with drink tickets at the bar is like, you ever seen those, vac those vacuum cleaners that clean the floor that they hit the edge and they turn this way, they turn that way? You know what I'm saying? They didn't know. She didn't know there's a huge line. Remember, a Vegas nightclub to go to the bar. Huge line. This is that. It was a disaster. I come up. I don't know where I tap her on the shoulder. I go to, I go to the bartender. Oh, because they're, they're handing out drink tickets. They don't even know what drink tickets, what to do with it. I go, oh, wait a second, wait a second. Don't take any of that. I go, come here, please. I go, you see, you never listen to me. Then I say, call me, follow me. So I had her. And then they were all like, you know how little ducks follow the mother duck? They're all following me. They're so happy. And I had this like Canadian dude, six foot eight uh, bouncer. Jock was his name. Monster, bro. Six foot eight beast with a flashlight giving us a private escort to our table. And on purpose, Javi, on purpose, I did like the game Centipede where I literally went through every table, said hi to everybody, just so she could see. People were like, hey, why is Hector even saying hi to me? He never says hi. What's up, bro? Hey, well, saying hi to every server, so that she could see I was the man. We sat at that table, and I go, now is my time. And I played it so cool, and I saw her, like literally, you can imagine, this, this table sits on the Bellagio water fountains, going up and down, going down. And for a Cuban guy from Miami, that my, my dream, Javi, would have been to be your friend in at Westminster, bro. That I would have died for some kind of that, man. I was this public school guy that never wore anything cool, that just saw everybody else getting abused every single day, getting the shit beat out of me every single day through baseball. Yeah. The, the sport that you got to fail seven times. In our era, let's say because we were Lokawayo, we failed five times. Those were five beatings too much hmm. that I had to take. And everybody saw it and nobody did anything. Yeah. And I would have died to be that, bro. And to see where I was there in Vegas and all that stuff. And I sat her and she sat next to me. And we're the same age. Went to, we graduated the same year. And she goes to me, what, uh, like, what's with your life? Like, what do you want to do? And I go, listen, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. I just want to have fun and do all that stuff, you know? But as I look at it now in the position that I'm at now, and I look at you in the position you're at now, and you go, man, there's nothing like the advantages of being married at 37 because we've calmed down our ego. We've learned how to communicate. We've learned that there's no such thing in a relationship as a loss. It's just, listen, it's a tie. 
And the only time we take a loss if it if there's an argument. And we've learned also that if this is gets to a point that it ain't gonna work out, because there's some people that are like, no, 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 we gotta stick with this. Listen, happiness over everything, man. Mm -hmm. You preach that, that's the message, happiness over everything. And we understand that happiness is the most important thing. And that everything else is Nothing else matters. Bro, we've been talking for an hour, 37 minutes. I could talk to you for three hours, 37 minutes. Okay? So this is what I, this is what I want to do. We're going to do a part two of this for sure because I, I want to get into the law years and stuff like that. Before I let you go, before I let you go, yeah. number one, I can't thank you enough, man, for taking the time. I know you're a real no, popular sorry. guy. I know you're a real busy guy. So to talk to a guy like me, My I really pleasure. appreciate that. I can't believe it's been an hour and 40 minutes. I yeah, dude. <laughs> this is my thing. This is my thing. That's number one. I appreciate your your friendship, even though I haven't met you, but just the time I feel, I appreciate your friendship, your energy, and I appreciate your vulnerability and your honesty, man. I think there's a lot of things that you can tap into, which we'll get into later, that you're not doing because you got, you're such, man, a, a I'm using an American word here, a beacon of positivity and of hope for people. And people who deal with depression, I think one of the best ways, and this is me, of I'm the other way. I suffer from extreme positivity. And like everything that's an extreme has its bad things. Oh, yeah. El extremo de cualquier cosa. Oye, un extremo de cualquier cosa, hay un problema. Eso lo sabe Work, money. Women, any, the extreme of anything is bad. It's bad. It's bad. So I, I appreciate you doing that, man. I, I think you have, you don't want to go into politics. I get it. But I think you have a future as a speaker. I think you have a future as an author. I think you have a future as a, as a YouTuber telling your story in your way. I think you have a future in a podcast. The, it's the, the amount of stuff you can do. Is I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I don't know how to use You don't need, nah, you don't need any of that stuff, man. Before <laughs> we go, before we go, any yeah. question for me, man? No, man, I, I, I just want to thank you, uh, you know, and, and for what you do, uh, you know, and, and sharing. I mean, look, vulnerability begets vulnerability, right? So the fact that you're able to to, to have these honest conversations, uh, you know, if, if we can, if, if having this conversation allows one person to, to say, you know, it's okay to try and get help because I'm not, I'm not okay right now. Like, I think I need that. That's okay. That's not weakness. That's strength. Um, what you're doing is, is, is really, I mean, you can save somebody's life, man. And you're doing that. So man, good on you. Keep, keep that up. And, and I can't wait for this Corona thing to clear up so that we can actually meet in person and, uh, you know, enjoy each other's company. But uh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. You're the man, Javi. Listen, during Corona, I've lost 40 pounds. I was 40 pounds heavier. Lost 40 pounds. I have a pregnant wife that's doing early September. I've had to take trips <laughs> that are that are life. You know that that, that I have I had to go to New York. I had to come back to, to change. I have a movement in my career that's about to change. Mindset, man. Mindset. That's why you are so. You're the guy that's so important doing this, dude. Love you, brother. I'm here yeah, for yeah. you. We're going to catch up. We're going to do part two. We're going to have fun. All right, man? Yeah.
Thank you, man. Have a good weekend. All right. Bye. There it is. There it went. Can't thank you guys enough for listening to the whole episode. Let's do a, a little review real quick. What did we learn from Javi? We learn, listen to intuition, whether it's the universe, whether it's your psyche, whether it's God, whatever you believe in, listen to it, trust it. How crazy to think, man, if I get injured, what's better? Graduating from Miami or from Harvard? It's not even close. For the kids out there, the players, what it goes to show you, the dedication, talking about not only training with your team, but training with a personal trainer after three times a week, and then maintaining a 4.0 grade average, not easy to do, not easy to do, but it goes to show you. If this episode shows you anything, if you put your mind to something, you ignore all the distractions and you attack your goal in a positive way, things can happen the way you want them to happen. It's your coach. I love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, please go hard and do your thing. See you in the next one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.